and welcome back to Unicorns and Hand Grenades, everyone. My name's Jax, and my co-host Kim and I are wrapped that you've chosen to join us in this series of real and raw conversations that we'll be having with each other and our guests, where we explore the nature of being human and embracing life in all of its brutal magnificence. We hope you enjoy this ride as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. So let's get into the conversation. And welcome back to Unicorns and Hand Grenades, everyone. It's Kim here tonight, introing the session. We're mixing it up, thought we'd do something a little bit different. And what I've actually realized, Jax, is that this is our first episode recording since we had our one-year anniversary. Congratulations. Yay, happy birthday, us. (laughs) It's kind of cool, eh? Thanks for those who have been on the ride with us, too, for a year, and just starting the ride with us from the beginning it's yeah just super cool to have you listening in and we value your time so I hope you gain something from all of our conversations and this one in particular I'm really looking forward to it yeah and so without further ado sitting around the mic with us tonight is Nick Ditchburn he is one of the founders of Damn Thieves which is an independent New Zealand skateboard company which was established last year He is passionate about all things mental health and also has just committed to doing an eight-hour skate-a-thon on the 5th of November, so we're keen to explore that a little bit more today. That'll be in New Plymouth along the coastal walkway to raise money for very important I Am Hope and Gumboot Friday. He is a kick-ass human, and I know him personally as well for some 25 years He's a family friend, but more like family, really, brother from another mother. So welcome, Nick. We are so excited to have you here tonight. Thank you, guys. It's nice to be here. It's nice to talk to you guys. Awesome. So, Jax, I'm going to hand it over to you to kick us off tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot when we changed roles, my roles changed as well. That wasn't part of the deal. Um, Right. There's so many ways we can go because it sounds like you're doing some really awesome stuff, Nick, and your passion's working in mental health and the fundraising is all that stuff that really lights our fire. One thing I want to start off on, which is kind of a little bit different than we do, Kim mentioned you started Damn Thieves a year ago. So starting your own business, wow, that's huge, eh? Having the guts to follow your dreams and just step into it, uh, show up and be seen. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that experience has looked like for you? Uh probably depends who you talk to. I think some people probably have a midlife crisis. But, um, yeah, so it it all came down out of lockdown. So we were, I guess, my core group of friends I all met studying art. Um, So I guess between us, there's a bunch of designers and photographers and videographers. And I guess we're just sort of talking. One of our friends, Tony, who's doing the, the skate with me um, for charity, he had started skating again. We all did that as kids and as teenagers and as Kim said, like I've, I've known her family for a long time and my brother and her brother used to skate together um, and I used to sort of get forced to go along to make sure they behaved themselves and <clears throat> Tony started skating again um, and just sort of pushed us into doing it, I guess, and because we had so much time um, over lockdown, me and my partner were working but we didn't really have a lot to do and we had the kids here but Again, there's only so much you can do. So we just sort of picked it up again and 
really, really enjoyed it. And I guess it's sort of like connecting back to the things you did when you were a kid that don't really matter, but they're just fun for the sake of fun. Um, and then I guess we just started talking. We, we were having um, almost daily catch-ups on Zoom. Um, we would you know, have a beer and talk about how lockdown was and, and what the challenges were. One of our friends is in Melbourne, so his experience is really, really different. Um, and yeah, it just sort of came out of the fact that we just, I think I started drawing something and sent it to them. I was like, maybe I should just make a board. Um, and they were pretty keen on it. And then they started like collaborating with me on it and then just sort of happened. We ended up um, crowd, was it crowdfunding? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Um, our first run. So we sold, um, I think 40, maybe out of the first run. Um, ordered I think about 60 and we just gave a lot of them away to people who either shared stuff on social media or just seemed like good people that we'd talk to and there's a really good community around skateboarding that's really inclusive um, from the fact that like you know kids skateboard right through to people who are in their 60s um, all genders all sexualities it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable in that sort of aspect of it is that really all that matters is that you skate um, or that you love it. You don't even have to be very good. We're not very good. We're kind of old dudes trying. Um, but yeah, it just it sort of came quite naturally and, and has led to meeting some really cool people. That connection piece is amazing. Hey, I loved when you said fun for the sake of fun. And I think sometimes as we get older, we forget how to have fun and we forget how to hook back in to the creative stuff that lit us up when we were younger and so I know you were joking about it like the midlife crisis piece <laughs> but it's really just listening to you we almost judge ourselves for stepping back into our passions at an age where we should know better in inverted commas or we think people might judge us so uh, so exciting to hear that you're just yeah from that I guess global hand grenade moment for everyone started the connection with your friends, started the business and stepped back in to unleashing that part of you. I don't know how long you've parked it for, but what are you finding now that you've got back into that creative flow and the skating flow? I think well, I think skateboarding and creativity kind of go hand in hand anyway. I think, I guess, historically, like the art scene or the underground art scene and skateboarding have sort of merged quite early on and then carried on in, in terms of, like graphic design especially. Um, but, yeah, it's it, like I, I feel like I'm a pretty creative person naturally. Um, and then you sort of get past university or whatever you're studying and learning and then you sort of <clears> – I mean, not everyone, but I found that, like, my situation, I had my son um, and sort of made a conscious decision to, to move into more, I guess, grown-up, situations and jobs and careers and things like that and it's it's not to say that that was like to my detriment or anything it was just I had a son and I'd prefer to um I guess make sure that I was providing um and doing the right things by him than you know doing other stuff that was more I don't want to say selfish but more self-motivated in terms of what I was getting out of it um but I, I guess what I've realized from this experience is that you can actually do both um and it's a again another conscious decision where you have to sort of force yourself to make time for it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I find like if you if you're not chasing stuff that you're passionate about, things get very um, 
I guess there's like a, a feeling of sort of like redundancy within the things that you're doing if they don't have meaning. Um, mm. and, so, and so it's been really cool, just like having that connection with my friends. Um, like I'm the only one in New Plymouth. Uh, two of them are in Palmy. One's in Gisborne, but is currently working on the mountains down in the South Island. The other one's in Melbourne. So we've got a disconnect anyway. So it's just another thing that we can sort of all talk about or make fun of each other for or those sorts of things that, yeah, just really help. So many benefits, right? And so I've been following with interest since the first Instagram post and keeping an eye on things. Um, And so you're a wee way down this path now and you've had some runs and you've, you know, you crowdfunded what you needed to and then the skate-a-thon. So how did this come up? How did you come up with the idea for the skate-a-thon? Um, it's, oh, I guess it's kind of all in me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about mental health. Personally, um, I've dealt with anxiety and depression stuff over the years. Um, I've got family members. I've got friends. I've lost friends to suicide. I've sort of, I guess, walked the gambit of what the effect is. Um, and I was sitting in bed uh, with my partner, just scrolling through Instagram, and I saw Mike King's post saying that they were aiming last year to raise, I think it was $5 million. I think what they ended up raising was about $900,000. Um, and it was, a, it was a heartbreaking thing to watch. Um, I think he was sitting in his car. It looked like he was very close to tears. Um, we all know, I guess, generally speaking, that there's a real underfunding of mental health anyway. Um, and I just, I just got to the point, I guess, where it just created a spark. And I was like, well, we need to do something. You know, if it's, it, sometimes I feel like it's easy to donate to causes like 10 bucks, 20 bucks when they, are outside the supermarket, but to actually invest your time is is quite different. Um, so, yeah, it just started off as a, as a really small idea, um, and I immediately went to Tony because I just knew that he'd do it. Um, he's a good dude, and he's um, experienced mental health stuff in his own family, and he loves skateboarding. And, you know, selfishly as well, it's like eight hours that we get to spend together doing something that we love. <laughs> But it's also, you know, a way that we, it's going to hurt. I mean, that's the reality of it. Like, I'm 35, Tony, I think, is 41. Um, we haven't done anything like this since we we're kids. So it, it is going to absolutely destroy our bodies. Um, but it's, it's one of those things, you know, like it's worth doing because even if it doesn't raise a huge amount of money, it's still, you know, when we do the skate, when we do all the promotion stuff, talking to people who have sponsored and come on board, we're creating internally, I guess, within those contacts, enough people still talking about it and still being aware of it. Um, and I think that's kind of what fundraising really is. It's not really about the final end goal. It's about just having those conversations with people so that people are constantly aware of the problem. Uh, so, yeah, it's – Sorry. Sorry, I was going to jump in by saying we talked a little bit about meaning before and in some of our conversations we've had, we've talked about legacy and sort of that mark that we want to have on our, our world. And this view is this was a spark to doing something with meaning and creating a legacy because you, are, you know, there's a financial aspect. You're also showing your children what you can do, just one man putting his mind to something. And so it creates this flow on effect um, for all of the people around us when we start to do something with meaning for us and we're passionate about it. 
Yeah, and I, and I think, to be honest, like a lot of, and, and I guess a lot of people would share this experience, like when I had my son, things started changing for me in terms of how I viewed myself within the world and the things that I wanted to uh, be available for like emotionally, how I was going to like resolve my own stuff that I, you know, I had carried through childhood, uh, more likely, I guess, with my parents' divorce and how I was going to be a father when I sort of didn't have much of a relationship with my dad and all those sorts of things. So you start to get to a point, well, I, I have anyway, where I think it's real easy to tell your kids what's right and wrong. And it's easy to say, you know, you shouldn't do that or you should do it this way, all those sorts of things where you're trying to guide them. But I think really the stuff that matters is when you show them, um, when they can see you take action. Um, and I guess I think it's all sort of intertwined. Like my own experience, a few years ago, I lost a, a really good friend um, to suicide who I would never, would never have imagined that would have happened. Um, and that affected me really profoundly, really. It was the, my first sort of close experience with a peer passing away. Um, and then that in terms of like, I guess the people that I know, my own, I went through a period of being quite anxious and stuff and had a period of being medicated for that, trying to work through what that was. Um, and then in my job, um, I sort of see the real extreme consequences of untreated mental health and untreated trauma. Um, so it's like this, I guess it's an amalgamation in a lot of ways of, of everything that I've experienced and just an attempt to do something. And I think, I don't know, maybe if everyone does a little something, then maybe the problem gets better. Yeah, I think you're right. When you were talking before about the fundraiser being about starting a conversation as well as the money, and that it was going to break your body. <laughs> so at least you got some skin in the game there. Yeah. I was reflecting on the fact that we are such a connected collective, and when we start to step into the place where we think beyond ourselves and want to make a difference and step into service, the right people, the right opportunities, and the right connections seem to be in our path, and it's about creating these pockets and communities because I think, in essence, every single guest we've had on this show, including you and Kim and I, we're all trying to do the same thing. We just have an ability to articulate it to a certain group of people or to people at a certain part of their journey. And how cool is that? And my question would be, as you've watched people around you get affected and as you've making, made, making, huh, <laughs> There's my brain going fried. I've been facilitating today, people, so the brain cells are very low. I'm going to make up my own words. As you've made or made um, the really brave choice to do your own healing so you can show up in the world for your son in a way that you weren't showing up for from listening to you, what's been the thing that's set you up for the biggest success in doing that work? a really good question um i don't think i could i could find one particular thing i think a lot of it may just come down to luck in a lot of ways or, or um chance fate whatever you might want to call it um i was very i, I still to this day like i my core group of friends i met 
maybe 15 years ago now. I feel really lucky to have them in my life. Um, we're, I guess, mainly dudes. There, there is a girl in there. Um, but, I mean, we're all pretty open, and I guess that sort of is, a bit, I guess, a bit of a contrast to like the archetype of New Zealand men. Um, maybe it helps that we all met doing a creative thing where, you know, you sort of have to be a little bit open to it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I guess it's just a, a, a combination of lots of factors. Like, I feel very lucky in my upbringing. Um, like, my mum was very kind to people and and I guess illustrated a lot of the values instead of talking about them which I think has helped me in adulthood sort of transition from being one of those sort of angsty teens to a, a functioning human being um so I, yeah I've, I've, I've been really lucky like even as Kim was saying we've known each other like the influence that her parent her parents had on my whole family was incredibly positive um and then we had, I guess, outside influences, like we had a neighbour who we were super tight with who sort of took my brother under his wing and, and sorted him out for years. It's just this, I guess, we, it's, we're just really fortunate in that we fell into a, a situation where my mum was a single mum of four kids and we just had incredible people around us. Um, and I don't know how you explain that, but we're very grateful for it. It's no coincidence, though, too, you know, because there, there's a lot to be said for like attracting like, and and your mum too has been a big influence on our lives as well, and everything that you've said, you know, um, absolutely resonates with me. But it's interesting, isn't it, that it it can sometimes be the circumstance, but then like the inception of damn thieves, things all just fall into place. Because some something is kind of steering us in a particular direction, whether it's the influences that are coming in um, as part of your upbringing or creative projects or reconnecting with buddies or whatever it is, each step, you know, it sort of seems that they're, it's a bit more orchestrated than maybe luck, chance and magic, but it kind of feels like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it definitely does. It definitely does. And like I've been, like me, me and Tony were speaking the other day just about organising this because it's, Funnily enough, even though it's like a day of skateboarding, it's, it's actually a huge amount of work. Um, and the way that things have fallen into place with um, like companies and brands coming on board to sponsor us and, and like the absolute generosity of it um, mm. has, it's, it's like it's been the hardest and easiest thing to do, if that makes sense. Um, like we, we don't even know what we would have done had no one come on board and like offered prizes and things to raffle and and stuff like that but it's been blown away i think we've got like brands like hyperide which is like a huge new zealand company then we've got like bones wheels which is like an international brand right down to um there's a, a clothing label called fabricate which as far as i can tell is one person who just like hand makes stuff and it's just i don't know it's just it's really humbling like to we were a bit nervous, I guess, about putting ourselves out there to do it in the first place because there's always a fear of failure. Um, and you don't want people to donate money for something that you end up physically not being able to do. <laughs> um, and so there was always that concern. But I guess the more people that have come on board, 
which has been a really humbling experience, has also increased our motivation to do it. So it, again, becomes this circular relationship, I guess. That's a nice way to describe it, a circular relationship. And when you were talking about happenstance uh, and luck, the two words that bubbled up for me straight away were divine intervention. And I don't mean like in the holy God way. I just mean in terms of trusting that there's something greater than ourselves when we fall into alignment with things that are for the greater good just start to fall into place. So, for example, you know, during your upbringing, um, your mum with four children, I heard Kim say that there was such goodness in her and in you and then these people turn up and that like attract, like I, I really believe that happens. And it's the same with doing something, you use the words, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's the easiest. You know, it's one of the hardest or easiest. If the hardest things we ever do are aligned to stepping into our truth, um, stepping up and being brave about either healing, uh, just stepping into fear when it's for a good cause, the easy just comes to support us because we're doing the right thing. We're dropping into, I believe, and it's just a personal belief, we're dropping into our purpose, which is always going to feel hard or into pockets of our purpose. And then it becomes easy because we're doing the right thing. So that alignment and support and divine intervention pops along too. And there's something it would be cool to explore if you're up for it. That male archetype, we've talked about that a lot. So We have probably an equal portioning of guests that are male and female, which is awesome. And I think it doesn't draw a male or a female listener base because when men talk about the archetype and the expectation of how traditionally men are and the challenges they face in opening up and bringing openness into their relationships, it helps women who are listening understand that that is so difficult. And that there's a bunch of work that goes on behind that. So what would you say to someone who's listening who is either struggling with a male in their life who finds openness hard or is struggling with that openness and that archetype expectation themselves? It's a really, really deep question. Um, <laughs> I know. I feel really bad sometimes because I don't write anything down and I just I just get so absorbed in the listening and then as I'm speaking, it's kind of like it just comes up. I th- Yeah, I th- it's a really good question. I think... I think archetypal expectations of men are held up by society and they're, they're passed down like intergenerationally. I think it becomes a bit of a, like a chicken and the egg situation where do individual men show change and use that as like role modeling for others? Or do we as a society choose that that's no longer valid? Um, I, I suspect the answer is probably somewhere in both. Um, my, my personal experience, like I, I feel almost like I'm not qualified to speak on it because I was raised very much by a woman um who encouraged open communication and there was no shame and crying or being you know sad or down or anything like that and saying that I guess that ended up like being more of like a protective bubble that I could come back to but I still had to try and find how to navigate the world between 
what my upbringing was and then what I th- I thought society expected of me. Because I think that's a big part of the problem, especially with males, is that no one really expects that of you. You you've you've internalized that, and so you feel like you have to project it. But I mean, in all in the relationships that I've been in, where I've cried or you know things have happened that have upset me. I've had nothing but support from people. And I've had that with my male friends as well. Um, you know, we've, we've had friends whose parents have passed away or, you know, um, I, unfortunately, you know, a few of my friends have experienced sexual abuse and stuff like that. So, you know, there, there are those moments where having, being there for someone and allowing them to be vulnerable or showing them that you can be vulnerable actually does nothing but build trust mm. and, and further build your relationship. And it's just, I think a part of it is finding the right people to do it around first so that you're getting affirmed, I guess, in that sort of behavior. Because I guess it, w- it would be easy if you did it to the wrong person or to do it to someone that you couldn't trust very well for, for whatever reason that, if that was like negatively reinforced, that would just carry it on. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think I, f- I feel like my generation is very different from previous generations. I can, I can see it like in my kids. It's, it's just a completely different culture now growing up, which I think is amazing. You know, like I've never heard my kids question anything about race or sexuality. Like my my stepdaughter's 13, my son is nine, and my daughter is six. And none of them have ever asked me why someone's skin color is different or why some men marry men or anything about like trans rights or anything like that. They just accept. And I just I think it's amazing. And I think the more that we're exposed to people of, of different backgrounds and different abilities and we put ourselves out there to be around different people, the more, the more society benefits. And um, I don't know if that answers the question at all, to be honest, but it's probably just me rambling. No, it, it so clearly answers the question. You've just shared a really beautiful insight about your journey, which was almost the opposite of growing up with the expectation of shutting down because you had the safe haven with your mum. So it's almost like the situation would have been flipped for you because in listening to you your natural default with your mum was to be able to cry to be able to be open which would have been so different from many of your male friends at the time who may not have had that in the parenting that they experienced so it sounds to me in listening to you that that ability to really choose your people wisely to open up to is something you've almost had to hone because you've come with this openness And then in honing that, you've built that group of 15 friends around you by stepping into the role modelling. And then you also um, gave us extra bang for buck with that answer because that diversity (laughs) piece is huge. You know, our kids growing up, my son's 23, so he's kind of in that hybrid phase. Um, But he's just, again, so open, so embracing of diversity that that programming that a lot of us have grown up with and I'm older than both of you, so my parents grew up in the war and I was brought up almost like that male archetype. As a girl, you don't cry, you don't ask for help, you just deal with shit. (laughs) Um, And as a female, that's been a hard 
shell to break. And it wasn't really till my wall blew up that I started that journey to really breaking it down and really truly opening up to people. So yeah, no, thank you. That was awesome insight for people. Kim, you're nodding away there. Yeah. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because once we start having that conversation, it's all like the same here, same here. Hey. And it's like, we all, we're all battling away on our own and or thinking people are feeling the same way about us, whether it's expressing emotion or whatever it might be. And everybody's in the same boat. It's just, it takes someone, whether it's through what you're doing, um, starting the conversation about mental health or talking about stereotypes of masculinity and femininity, someone's got to start the conversation. And then we realize that we have a whole lot more in common than we maybe thought we did. Hmm. So true. I heard something, and given that I'm making up my own words, because I'm brain fried, <laughs> I might make up another word. <laughs> and I, hopefully I get this right. But it was about, I used to think that asking for help was a sign of weakness, but because of who I am and how I'm programmed, the first thing I'd want to do for someone else is to help them. So asking help for me was bad, was weak. Giving help to someone else, I would want them to ask me. And what I read was that when you do that, what you're actually doing is almost casting a judgment because you're saying, well, it's okay for you to ask for help, but I'm going to be there. I'm not going to ask for it. And you're not even intentionally doing it that way, but subconsciously that's kind of what's playing out. I found that quite interesting because mm. we don't ask for help often. There's, a, there's probably like a degree of just protection there, right? Eh? Like of just trying to protect yourself. And I think perhaps there's always, when, when you're helping others, I think you're trying to work, sometimes anyway, I think you're trying to work your own problems out through that process of helping others. Um, but yeah, I think like with what you guys have talked about in terms of like how we all sort of feel the same, like I feel like that's pretty much the problem with how we address mental health. Um, I think like I, th I think what Mike King and, and Gumboot Friday is all about is honestly incredible. And I think, you know, to, to completely reinvent yourself as a comedian, to go through that journey, understand what it's like, and then just to dedicate your life to give to young people is, is so admirable. But I think the, the issue there is that I think we still treat mental health like real reactionary. Um, like we, we think that mental health is a service that happens when people aren't in a good place. But I think socially, I, I think mental health, like clinical mental health sits apart from social mental health. And I think a big part of that is that we live in this really individualized culture where sort of taught to think about ourselves and our careers and our and our you know how much money you earn what job you do all those sorts of things and i think that to a point that, that that's really necessary especially in a competitive world but i think the downside to that is the loss of community and if you like even like looking at like psychological theory and stuff or how that relates to like um, tikanga Maori or indigenous cultures like the, a, a lot of the reason why mental health is so traditionally well um, 
I guess, so healthy, I guess, is because you have this sense of community where you are all helping each other. You're working side to side. You're, you know, you're building things together and, you, and you're breaking things down together. And, and I think, you know, people are quick to blame social media and things like that. But I think social media is just a tool. It really depends on how you choose to use it. But I think if we, if we had a stronger sense of each other in society and our roles in society and how we can actually help each other and how that benefits ourselves through altruism, I guess you could say. Um, I think perhaps the the clinical side of mental health wouldn't be so important because I think, you know, they talk about suicide prevention, which is unbelievably necessary, but I think we should really be preventing people getting to a like suicidal ideation in the first place. And I think a lot of that comes down to how we as a society treat people who are hurting. That's right. And even through my own experiences with people that I've known, you know, who are seeking help, they're not bad enough to get the support that they need as in it needs to be a crisis point, go home, you're not an immediate risk to your own safety, so sorry, got nothing for you. And it's just, I've seen that happen a few times now and it just it's just baffles me, like ambulance at the bottom of the cliff stuff. Yeah. And, um, and how many of our... How many of our New Zealanders and other countries around the world, and especially with what's going on in the world at the moment, are in this position where people want help, people are seeking it, and it's just not available because it's either not prioritised or, sorry, but we've got four cases today, and actually yours is pretty bad, but you're, and this was what I was told, you're, you know, for this person, the best of the four, so see you later. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. my goodness. I haven't yeah. seen I think that's where the solution is, is within us like as a community and within i guess how we how we choose to frame people's worth in society um we can choose like marginalize people of certain ethnicities but we know what that does we can do that to people's sexualities and gender identity but we know what that does we know that the outcome of treating people worse than we'd like to be treated will result in mental health so the choice is just not to do it <laughs> and it seems really simple and I guess kind of hopelessly hopeful but at the end of the day like we're born into circumstances we can't control we have very little choice until we're an adult and then we're sort of defined by what we were brought up in anyway and so I just think and it sounds really idealistic and it's probably in a lot of ways silly but I just think just be kind like it doesn't cost you anything it doesn't even take much time. Um, and also don't be rude to waiters. It's really annoying. Oh. <laughs> it's like a huge you know, <laughs> That's one of my biggest bugbears, given that I grew up as a flight attendant. I love hopelessly hopeful. I think I might tag <laughs> that as a tagline because I think when we lose that ability to just be hopelessly hopeful, we can't think outside the square of how we can help people. And it is so simple. Be kind. Don't be a dick. And then if you want to amplify it, be kind. Don't be a dick. And what's your skill set that might help you help more than one person if you have a skill set that might do that? So your creativity, your skating, the skatathon. Kim and I, our ability to facilitate, connect the dots, ask questions, sharing stories in a podcast. 
And that, I think, doesn't happen, that real altruism and wanting to step outside yourself and help. I, I think it's always there in some people, but I think you step into the brave after your world blows up because it just doesn't become an option not to try and help others. And you generally end up trying helping others that are kind of in the lane that you were in at some point, I think. And in terms of that being kind and just almost stepping back a little bit, because we were chatting before around Zane Mumro for all the brothers. So Zane's been a guest on the show. And then we were chatting as well, Jason Knuckles. You knew of Jason at, is it UCOL? Um, yeah. We both studied before. And it's kind of like, it's so cool how all these connections are just a wee spider web. But you talked before about it being hard on your body, skating for eight hours. Did you get any tips from Zane? Because we know he did his 24-hour walkathon. The only way I could help because I had a bung knee was to bake bacon and egg pies and bring them down throughout the night. But yeah, any tips from him around how to preserve your sad old body and keep going? Um, to be fair, he, he was really cool. Like We hadn't spoken until um, we launched this and okay. I very quickly received a message from him being like, what can we do to help? I love that. Um, and he is just an awesome dude. Um, yeah, no, we, we've done, I've, I've talked to some personal trainers. Um, me, me and Tony. Right. Me, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've both had knee surgeries. Um, about a year ago, I dislocated my shoulder skating. Um, You're selling yourself up. It's just, it's pretty, pretty chronic to be honest, but we, we're just treating it like anything else really. We're, you know, Tony is fitter than me. He does um, jujitsu, so he's he's gonna be fine, and he's gonna love it because I'm gonna fall off when my legs get out, and I'm, I'm just just a guarantee. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'm I'm just doing what I normally do to train for anything else. Um, just trying to do stuff every day, trying to eat healthy, all that sort of stuff, while everyone else in the house eats takeaways, and it's. <laughs> Supportive of them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not their journey. <laughs> no, true, true. Let's not bring everyone else in on it. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking about something before because I, unlike Jacks, I do write notes because that's just my MO. <laughs> but one of the things that you said before, which which I'm thinking about now, is this whole the loss of community being, you know, some of the reason behind why we're at where we're at. And then we talked about, well, you know, some of that wanting to build a sense of community is the reason behind we're what we're all doing and and I experienced that hugely like when mum when mum and dad were sick then when mum and dad died I felt like I was the only person in the world who'd ever lost their parents which is not true but because and I was looking and searching for things to read and things to listen to and, and someone who had been me before and I couldn't find anything and so you know with what you're doing and with what we're doing I feel like my I'm talking to me five years ago 10 years ago like the girl who thought that she wouldn't even be able to survive what she's gone through to we say shine light spread hope like that's sort of our tagline Ajax but but then it creates a community and the more I share which is really painful and quite scary and you've really got to step into being brave to share I'm I'm quite a private person 
the more love you get in the community that comes to surround you and also says, I can relate to that messages from people saying, and then like, you, you know, the messages that you're getting from Zane, hey, how can we support you? Because everyone's working toward the same thing in one way or another. But we've got to start somewhere by trying to create these little communities, which, um, you know, which is just one step at a time and someone sticking their hand up to give something a shot, even if it fails. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that's, that's sort of where me and Tony are at now with Damn Thieves is that we're sort of in a position where we're not actually sure what it's going to be after this, whether it continues as a, I guess, like an independent business, whether it moves to more of a non-profit sort of situation. There's a, there's a lot to say about people giving their time. I think that it's, it's, I think it's far more valuable than, than giving money. I know that money provides services and things like that. But, um, yeah, we've, we've just been so inspired, I guess, by the whole situation. We've made some really um, just incredible connections with people, um, just sponsors who, you know, like companies who I've, I've just randomly emailed and been like, hey, here's a big story about what we're doing. Do you want to jump on board? And then people coming on board saying, look, you know, I've lost people and I totally understand why this is important. We'll do anything we can do to help. And you don't, a lot, a lot of the time you don't really expect that from the corporate world. Mm. Um, but, you know, mental health, even physical health, you know, like because it's in a lot of ways it's so out of people's control, it, it ends up sort of binding people through shared experience. Um and so we're not really sure what form it's going to take. I think we feel like this has been, I mean, I think, I think we've been more successful than we gave ourselves credit for at the beginning. Um, but more importantly, I think we've been even better at building relationships with people and, and talking about stuff. And we feel, you know, like when we were doing Damn Thieves originally, we never did it to make money. We were never going to make money out of it. It was just a passion project and we were happy breaking even. Um, and to be fair, we probably gave more stuff away than we than we sold in the end because it's just fun to give stuff to kids who are stoked on it. Um, but I don't know. I think I think there's something there's something in there that maybe not necessarily like dedicated within skateboarding, but I think there's a, there's a metaphor I think for life within action based sports that you don't get from other sports. Mm. I grew up. I played cricket, rugby, everything basically, basketball, soccer. Um, but there's like there's, there's a physical and a mental battle with trying to land a trick, and it sounds really silly to anyone who doesn't skate. And it, you know, probably sounds like I'm exaggerating, but you're not just battling your body to like physically coordinate to learn something, but you're constantly having to battle the fear of really hurting yourself, and it and it doesn't stop. So if you learn one trick stationary, then you've got to learn it moving. If you learn it moving, then you've got to learn it maybe down a stair or you've got to, you know, drop into it and then do it at the top of a, a half pipe or something like that. So it's like this constant progression of overcoming physical and mental boundaries. Um, and the only person you've got to rely on it is yourself. Like your friends can give you tips, they can help, they can cheer you on. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all down to how willing you are to keep trying. Um, and I think there's something within that that works within the spirit of what we're doing and I guess why we made Damn Thieves in the first place, which was just to have 
like a little community product that people could be inspired by. Um, and so I think we'll probably move in the direction of a non-profit or perhaps a charity. We're not really sure where it sits at the moment, but we've been real inspired by this process so far. We've only been doing it a month, so it's been pretty kind of life-changing in a way. Wow, that's so and powerful. As you were explaining landing a trick from a chick who knows nothing about skating, it's like, man, that's just a metaphor for life right there, hey? Battling the mind, battling the physical, um, not quite knowing how stuff's going to land. You could land on your ass, get back up again, give it another go, land the trick the next time. So, yeah, that's just so cool that that even landing the trick of starting your own business has moved and morphed into a space where it's evolving, where you're talking about maybe a not-for-profit. You've you, you've got the why behind what you do now, and it's not about designing pretty skateboards. I don't even yeah. know if pretty and skateboards are two words that should be together. It's not like just designing gnarly skateboards. Um, there's a why behind what you're doing that has yeah. evolved, and the skateboarding is just your way in. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, I think it was always about helping people. Um, like when, when we grew up, there were some really like big New Zealand brands that, and it was cool. Like to, to someone had like a boom skateboard or a strobe skateboard or, you know, like the sort of Kiwi Australian brands. And like there was like a sense of pride in that. And I guess that's what we were originally going for. Um, but we we're aware that like the market's super saturated from like a business standpoint. You're competing with all these overs, like you're never going to make any inroads, but it was fun. And it still is fun and it's still cool to make boards and give them away. But I guess perhaps like the the ethos behind it all in the first place is probably just as we've got more confident moving through it, maybe the real purpose of it is coming out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been kind of strange like to go from lockdown, starting to skate again, um, building a small brand but kind of like a cool little thing and then to something that we feel you know some real passion about and we've got our own experiences with it and if there was a way that we could turn that into something that could i don't know benefit those things that we're passionate about in terms of either fundraising or giving time or mentoring or something like that um yeah i think that would be probably the greatest outcome that we could have hoped for and the wonderful thing is when you started you had no expectations and that's the thing if we have this idea of what we want it to look like at the end that's always influencing the path that we take when we have our why and we just follow the nudges and I guess take the next best step who knows like we're only limiting ourselves by trying to I guess figure out what it's going to be in the end so it's a it's an exciting time because this brand that you've developed it could be many different things. And it's also started a really important conversation. One yeah. that needs to be had here, you know, often. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I guess the, where we feel about it is like mental health to me is, is super, super important. And I think of all of the people, you know, that could have been saved by having a slightly different attitude in society. Um, and, not, and I don't just mean, who pass away, I mean, you know, people who are lost in for, lo- for long periods of time to addiction and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, but there's a, there's a degree there where physical health, sorry, physical health, you know, sort of partners with that. And 
you know, can you be super mentally healthy if you're not physically healthy? And, you know, I've, you know, outside of that is taking pride, I guess, in the environment and looking after, you know, the beaches and stuff like that. So there's, within action sports of like surfing, skating, snowboarding, it's basically all dependent on the environment. It's all dependent on physical and mental health. So it ends up being, I guess, this kind of encompassing thing where we're just kind of like, what do we do with it? <laughs> you know? Um, but it is, it's really exciting. It's um, it's definitely the most passionate I've felt about anything in a long time, yeah. which is cool. It's very cool to say. And so I have a question then. So what's been the thing that surprised you the most out of this journey to date for Dan Thieves? That I followed through on it. <laughs> nice succinct answer there. <laughs> I've, got a, um, I've, I've got a knack of like getting ideas in my head and getting super excited about them um, and then not quite finishing them. Um, like I had an unfinished motorbike that I was rebuilding in the shed for a while that never got finished. Um, started building furniture for a while there um, just because I wanted to see if I'd be any good at it. Um, so I sort of, yeah, I, I can be quite scattered, I guess. So I, I guess the discipline of following through is probably the thing I'm most proud of at the moment. What's the thing that's made this venture the thing that you follow through with? What do you think has been the difference with this thing? Well, I think probably because it's about other people. Um, all, all of my other stuff has, has been basically I've, I've seen something or um, I've experienced something and been like, I wonder if I could do that. Like, wonder if I could build a bed. I don't know. Let's give it a go. Um, that every day. <laughs> just so you know, just so you know the bed Nothing that I built is the one we sleep in. No, you actually wondered, can I build a bed? And then you built a bed and you're now sleeping in the bed. Yeah. It, was a, it ended, up, ended up being a surprise Christmas present for my partner, which I'm not sure what she what she actually thought of it. She was she seemed grateful. Um, I don't know what was going on in her head. But... <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I mean, it hasn't fallen apart, so I did something all right. Um, but, yeah, I guess, oh, I don't know. Well, sorry, what was the question? Because um, it's about others. So this is about the differences, doing it to maybe prove something for our own ego versus doing something that's outside of our ego for someone else. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think... In a lot of ways, there's, there's very few circumstances where you can help people outside of like your direct group of friends or family. Um, and one of the things, like right from the get-go, was all like getting back into skating and stuff and setting up Dan Thieves was probably how many like kids reach out to us. And a lot of the times that kids are reaching out to people on the internet is not a good thing, to be fair. Um, but we were we were real fortunate. Like we had, I got I had. A conversation with um, a person who was struggling with their gender identity, and I don't know why, for whatever reason, skateboarding was a was a bridge there, um, and started talking about you know people not wanting to identify her as a woman and how painful it was and, and things like that. And then you have people who who message you, and you know you get a lot of requests for free stuff. But like if you if you start talking to these kids, you know, like a lot of them don't have anything. They don't have the resources to buy a new deck, or you know, they're not from families that can support hobbies like that. And that's you know, 
super common, but there's like an embarrassment in that for them. So for them to, you know, be able to reach out to someone and in circumstances where we could, like we tried to help people with that because it, it's important. Like, you know, what might cost us $30, $40 or whatever to make, whatever it was, you know, for them is like a year of being on a board at a skate park with their friends, which is far more important than that 30 bucks ever was to us. Mm. So, yeah, I guess it just started really small with a few people sort of reaching out to us. And, like, Tony's a 41-year-old dude who literally goes and skates with a group of 16-year-olds every weekend. Like, that is how cool that scene is. Like, mm. there is no barrier for age. There's no barrier. Like, he's, he's South Korean. No barrier for race. Like, everything is just completely inclusive. And I, I sometimes feel like I wish more people got involved in it, not so that they skateboarded, but just so that they could touch on that culture of if you've got one thing in common, everything else can be forgotten. And, yeah, I think that's, that's probably, I guess, how it all came about in terms of wanting to do something that bettered others is that we had these really small experiences from the beginning that sort of made us realise that, like, we're not just... I think sometimes you can feel quite limited in what you're able to do for other people, like whether it's your time or you don't know what to say, but sometimes just replying, you know, is really meaningful and giving yeah. someone a piece, you know, a carved piece of wood is really meaningful. And if you can do those things, I think it's really important to do them. And I, and I totally understand that people aren't always in the, in the position where they can give things away and they can give money or, you know, and I don't think people should if it, you know, is to their own detriment. You know, they need to look after themselves. But I think when you're in a position, especially with time, you know, if mm-hmm. if you want to live in a in a world where, you know, people's happiness and and health is at the forefront, then I think you do kind of have to at some point say, Well, why not just try? Yeah, time is our time is our greatest currency. It's the thing that's most valuable to us, and when we can give it to others, so that they can feel seen and heard, like you have in responding to the people that reached out, many people wouldn't even respond. Um, that's a really yeah, it's a really great way to make an impact. And no wonder it's the thing you followed through on, apart from the rickety beard. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's the thing, yeah, it's the thing that's about someone else and it's the thing that's giving back. So it's been so cool just to hear you talk through your journey. Thank you for being so open with us. Uh, One question, as aware of time, and we're heading towards the end, what piece of advice would you give the younger Nick from your vantage point now? Oh, that is such a good question. I feel like the real meanie now. There's so many things I would tell myself. Um, Give us more than one piece. You can have more pieces than one advice to young Nick. um, Oh, my gosh. I'd probably start off with, like, child child Nick. Up to the time I was about 13, I'd say you're enough because I think that was probably – the effect of my parents' divorce was definitely me internalising a lot of that separation on myself. Um, teenage, <laughs> teenage Nick. Um, <laughs> Do we need I to would, X-rate this now? <laughs> no, no I, I would just probably say um, don't try and validate yourself 
through external um, ways, but do it internally. Um, and then I guess overall, like the, probably the, the best thing that I've ever learned is um, probably, I don't know if it's think before you speak or be care- or choose your words carefully. I think people can forget how painful or hurtful things can be said, uh, things can be received if they're not either thought through or you're coming from a super emotional place or you're just not ready to communicate with someone. And I think probably the, the things that I most sort of look back on and wish I hadn't done have always been impulsive comments or discussions with people that I either wasn't prepared to have and I chose to do it anyway, which isn't a good place to start anything from, or I wasn't emotionally ready to handle the subject. And so I don't I, I don't know. I mean, awesome. I guess. That's awesome. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll probably just say do good. Do good things. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And it's so interesting. Hey, 13 year old Nick, know your worth. If we could travel back in time and give that piece of advice to our 13 year old selves, probably would have been one of the things I told myself too. Then the need for the other advice would fall away, right? If we knew our worth, we wouldn't need to seek things from external sources or external validation as we get older and then pair that back to the thinking carefully about your words. If we knew our worth, we could sit and be okay with certain things happening and find our peace with them before we spoke. So it's so interesting how that know your own worth sometimes seems to be at the crux of so many other things. So there were some great insights. Thanks Nick for sharing. And, and rounding up, we like to talk about our little takeouts. Hey Kim. Yes. Taken out of today's combo. Lots. Um, it keeps coming back to me fundamentally. There's this whole piece about what are finding our childhood passion, and then it, you know, this is the dream, passion to purpose, and then doing something with that, you know, and being able to um, get outside and, and do what we enjoyed doing as a kid. I think there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And then I loved the bit about tell, um, showing versus telling. So you're setting an example we're all trying to set an example we can tell people to do this or do that like Jack said you can ask me for help but I'm not going to ask you but it's really about trying to role model and show what we're all about and so those probably lots of lots of different things but those are two standouts for me Um, and I think I'm also hopelessly hopeful hashtag yeah yeah Yeah. I did write that down because that was what popped up for me just man a reminder to stay being hopeful hopelessly hopeful uh and that social mental health connection and the part that we all play in everyone else's well-being when we stop framing people's worth um through our own lenses the power that that has and just coming back to that just be kind man it changes the world for one person anyway right the person you're being kind to whether that's the waiter or whether it's a stranger on the street. So thanks, Nick, for sharing with us. It's been incredible to have you in the conversation. And if people want to support your broken old bones and your bung knee and your dodgy shoulder in the skateathon and give for a really good cause, I am Hope and Gumboot Friday. How do they connect with you as Dan Thieves? Best way. Uh, probably, 
yeah, the best way through is probably through Instagram, which is just at Damn Thieves. Um, that's probably just the easiest one to remember. Um, we've got a Facebook uh, page for the the Skatathon, which is uh, Facebook Nick and Tony Skate, and then we've got another one which is the actual fundraising page where people can donate. But you can find those that link through either the Instagram or the Facebook. So that's probably the best option. Yeah, perfect. What date are you doing up? November fifth. November fifth. Awesome. So well, if I can get my A and G and do all the fancy sound stuff. <laughs> We'll have this out well before then. So we'll pop all of those links in our Instagram and Facebook posts as well as in the copy for this episode. So thank you. What a great conversation. It's been a while since we've been around the mic. Really appreciate you all listening in from wherever in the world that you are. So go out there, be kind, don't be a dick and remain hopelessly hopeful. And we will see you, hear you in next week's episode of Unicorns and Hand Grenades.